0: Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BBJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Boys Jay, and this is the show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found in the show notes at BedtimeWithBVJ.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link in every post. Tonight we continue our story, The Wind in the Willows, by Kenneth Graham. "'Why, where are you off to, Ratty?' asked the Mole in great surprise, grasping him by the arm. "'Going south with the rest of them,' murmured the Rat in a dreamy monotone, never looking at him. "'Seawards first, and then on shipboard.' and on to the shores that are calling me. He pressed resolutely forward, still without haste, but with dogged fixity of purpose. But the mole, now thoroughly alarmed, placed himself in front of him, and looking into his eyes, saw that they were glazed and set, and turned a streaked and shifting grey, not his friend's eyes, but the eyes of some other animal. Grappling with him strongly, he dragged him inside, threw him down, and held him. The rat struggled desperately for a few moments, and then his strength seemed suddenly to leave him, and he lay still and exhausted, with closed eyes trembling. Presently the mole assisted him to rise and placed him in a chair, where he sat collapsed and shrunken into himself, his body shaken by a violent shivering passing in time into an hysterical fit of dry sobbing. Mole made the door fast, threw the satchel into a drawer and locked it, and sat down quietly on the table by his friend, waiting for the strange seizure to pass. Gradually, the rat sank into a troubled doze, broken by starts and confused murmurings of things strange and wild and foreign to the unenlightened mole. And after that, he passed into a deep slumber. Very anxious in mind, the mole left him for a time and busied himself with household matters, and it was getting dark when he returned to the parlor and found the rat where he had left him, wide awake indeed, but listless, silent, and dejected. He took one hasty glance at his eyes, found them, to his great gratification, clear and dark and brown again as before, and then sat down and tried to cheer him up and help him to relate what had happened to him. Poor Ratty did his best by degrees to explain things, but how could he put into cold words what had mostly been suggestion? How recall for another's benefit the haunting sea voices that had sung to him, how reproduce at second hand the magic of the seafarer's hundred reminiscences? Even to himself, now the spell was broken and the glamour gone, he found it difficult to account for what had seemed, some hours ago, the inevitable and only thing. It is not surprising, then, that he failed to convey to the Mole any clear idea of what he had been through that day. To the Mole this much was plain. The fit, or attack, had passed away, and had left him sane again though shaken and cast down by the reaction. But he seemed to have lost all interest for the time in the things that went to make up his daily life, as well as in all pleasant forecastings of the altered days and doings that the changing season was surely bringing. Casually then, and with seeming indifference, the mole turned his talk to the harvest that was being gathered in, the towering wagons and their straining teams, the growing ricks, and the large moon rising over bare acres dotted with sheaves. He talked of the reddening apples around, of the browning nut, of jams and preserves and the distilling of cordials, till by easy stages such as these he reached midwinter, its hearty joys and its snug home life. And then he became simply lyrical. By degrees the rat began to sit up and to join in, his dull eye brightened, "'and he lost some of his listening air. "'Presently the tactful Mo slipped away "'and returned with a pencil and a few half-sheets of paper, "'which he placed on the table at his friend's elbow. "'It's quite a long time since you did any poetry,' he remarked. "'You might have a try at it this evening "'instead of, well, brooding over things so much.' I've an idea that you'll feel a lot better when you've got something jotted down, if it's only just the rhymes. The rat pushed the paper away from him wearily, but the discreet mole took occasion to leave the room, and when he peeped in again some time later, the rat was absorbed and deaf to the world, alternately scribbling and sucking the top of his pencil. It is true that he sucked a good deal more than he scribbled, but it was joy to the mole to know that the cure had at least begun. Chapter 10 The Further Adventures of Toad The front door of the hollow tree faced eastwards, so Toad was called at an early hour, partly by the bright sunlight streaming in on him, partly by the exceeding coldness of his toes, which made him dream that he was at home in bed in his own handsome room with the two-door window. "'on a cold winter's night, and his bedclothes had got up, "'grumbling and protesting they couldn't stand the cold any longer, "'and had run downstairs to the kitchen fire to warm themselves, "'and he had followed, on bare feet, "'along miles and miles of icy stone-paved passages, "'arguing and beseeching them to be reasonable. "'He would probably have been aroused much earlier "'had he not slept for some weeks on straw over stone flags.' and almost forgotten the friendly feeling of thick blankets pulled well up round the chin. Sitting up, he rubbed his eyes first and his complaining toes next, wondered for a moment where he was, looking round for a familiar stone wall and little barred window, then, with a leap of the heart, remembered everything. His escape, his flight, his pursuit. Remembered first and best thing of all, that he was free. free. The word and the thought alone were worth fifty blankets. He was warm from end to end as he thought of the jolly world outside, waiting eagerly for him to make his triumphal entrance, ready to serve him and play up to him, anxious to help him and to keep him company, as it always had been in days of old before misfortune fell upon him. He shook himself and combed the dry leaves out of his hair with his fingers, and, his toilet complete, marched forth into the comfortable morning sun, cold but confident, hungry but hopeful, all nervous terrors of yesterday dispelled by rest and sleep and frank and heartening sunshine. He had the world all to himself that early summer morning. The dewy woodland, as he threaded it, was solitary and still. The green fields that succeeded the trees were his own to do as he liked with, The road itself, when he reached it, in that loneliness that was everywhere, seemed like a stray dog to be looking anxiously for company. Toad, however, was looking for something that could talk and tell him clearly which way he ought to go. It is all very well when you have a light heart and a clear conscience and money in your pocket and nobody scouring the country for you to drag you off to prison again to follow where the road beckons and points, not caring whither. The practical toad cared very much indeed, and he could have kicked the road for its helpless silence when every minute was of importance to him. The reserved rustic road was presently joined by a shy little brother in the shape of a canal, which took its hand and ambled along by its side in perfect confidence, but with the same tongue-tied, uncommunicative attitude towards strangers.' "'Bother them,' said Toad to himself. "'But anyhow, one thing's clear. "'They must both be coming from somewhere and going to somewhere. "'You can't get over that, Toad, my boy.' "'So he marched on patiently by the water's edge. "'Round a bend in the canal came plodding a solitary horse, "'stooping forward as if in anxious thought.' From rope traces attached to his collar stretched a long line, taut but dipping with its stride, the further part of it dripping pearly drops. Toad let the horse pass and stood waiting for what the fates were sending him. With a pleasant swirl of quiet water at its blunt bow, the barge slid up alongside of him, its gaily painted gunwale level with the towing path. Its sole occupant, a big stout woman, "'wearing a linen sunbonnet, one brawny arm laid along the tiller. "'A nice morning, ma'am,' she remarked to Toad, as she drew up level with him. "'I dare say it is, ma'am,' responded Toad politely, "'as he walked along the towpath abreast of her. "'I dare it is a nice morning to them that's not in sore trouble, like what I am. "'Here's my married daughter. "'She sends off to me post-haste to come to her at once.' "'So off I comes, not knowing what may be happening or going to happen, "'but fearing the worst, as you will understand, ma'am. "'If you're a mother, too, and I've left my business to look after itself, "'I'm in the washing and laundering line, you must know, ma'am, "'and I've left my young children to look after themselves. "'And a more mischievous and troublesome set of young imps doesn't exist, ma'am. "'And I've lost all my money and lost my way.' And as for what may be happening to my married daughter, why, I don't like to think of it, ma'am. Where might your married daughter be living, ma'am? asked the barge woman. She lives near to the river, ma'am, replied Toad. Close to a fine house called Toad Hall. That's somewhere's hereabouts in these parts. Perhaps you may have heard of it. Toad Hall... Why, I'm going that way myself, replied the barge woman. This canal joins the river some miles further on, a little above Toad Hall, and then it's an easy walk. You come along in the barge with me, and I'll give you a lift. She steered the barge close to the bank, and Toad, with many humble and grateful acknowledgments, stepped lightly on board and sat down with great satisfaction. Toad's luck again, thought he. "'I always come out on top.' "'So you're in the washing business, ma'am,' "'said the bargewoman, politely, as they glided along. "'And a very good business you've got, too, I dare say, "'if I'm not making too free in saying so. "'Finest business in the whole country,' said Toad airily. "'All the gentry come to me wouldn't go to anyone else "'if they were paid, they know me so well. "'You see,' I understand my work thoroughly and attend to it all myself. Washing, ironing, clear-starching, making up gents' fine shirts for evening wear, everything's done under my own eye. But surely you don't do all that work yourself, ma'am, asked the barge woman respectfully. Oh, I have girls, said Toad lightly. Twenty girls or thereabouts, always at work. But you know what girls are, ma'am. Nasty little hussies, that's what I call them. So do I, too, said the barge woman, with great heartiness. But I dare say you set yours to rights, the idle trollops. And are you very fond of washing? I love it, said Toad. I simply dote on it, never so happy as when I've got both arms in the wash tub. But then... "'It comes so easy to me. "'No trouble at all. "'A real pleasure, I assure you, ma'am.' "'What a bit of luck meeting you,' "'observed the bargewoman thoughtfully. "'A regular piece of good fortune for both of us.' "'Why, what do you mean?' asked Toad nervously. "'Well, look at me now,' replied the bargewoman. "'I like washing, too, just the same as you do.' And for that matter, whether I like it or not, I've got to do all my own, naturally, moving about as I do. Now, my husband, he's such a fellow for shirking his work and leaving the barge to me that never a moment do I get to sing to my own affairs. By rights, he ought to be here now, either steering or attending to the horse. Though luckily the horse has sense enough to attend to himself— "'Instead of which, he's gone off with the dog "'to see if they can't pick up a rabbit for dinner somewhere. "'Says he'll catch me up at the next lot. "'Well, that's as may be. "'I don't trust him once he gets off with that dog "'who's worse than he is. "'But meantime, how am I to get on with my washing?' "'Oh, never mind about the washing,' said Toad, "'not liking the subject. "'Try and fix your mind on that rabbit.' "'A nice, fat young rabbit, I'll be bound. "'Got any onions?' "'I can't fix my mind on anything but my washing,' said the bargewoman. "'And I wonder you can be talking of rabbits with such a joyful prospect before you. "'There's a heap of things of mine that you'll find in a quarter of the cabin. "'If you'll just take one or two of the most necessary sort, "'I won't venture to describe them to a lady like you, "'but you'll recognize them at a glance.' And put them through the washtub as we go along, why, it'll be a pleasure to you, as you rightly say, and a real help to me. You'll find a tub handy, and soap, and a kettle on the stove, and a bucket to haul up water from the canal with. Then I shall know you are enjoying yourself instead of sitting here idle, looking at the scenery and yawning your head off. Here, you let me steer, said Toad, now thoroughly frightened. And then you can get on with your washing your own way. I might spoil your things or not do them as you like. I'm more used to gentlemen's things myself. It's my special line. Let you steer, replied the barge woman, laughing. It takes some practice to steer a barge properly. Besides, it's dull work. And I want you to be happy. No, you shall do the washing you are so fond of and I'll stick to the steering that I understand. Don't try and deprive me of the pleasure of giving you a treat. Toad was fairly cornered. He looked for escape this way and that, saw that he was too far from the bank for a flying leap, and sullenly resigned himself to his fate. If it comes to that, he thought in desperation, I suppose any fool can wash. He fetched tub, soap, and other necessaries from the cabin, selected a few garments at random, tried to recollect what he had seen in casual glances through laundry windows, and set to. A long half-hour passed, and every minute of it saw Toad getting crosser and crosser. Nothing that he could do to the thing seemed to please them or do them good. He tried coaxing, he tried slapping, he tried punching— they smiled back at him out of the tub, unconverted, happy in their original sin. Once or twice he looked nervously over his shoulder at the barge woman, but she appeared to be gazing out in front of her, absorbed in her steering. His back ached badly, and he noticed with dismay that his paws were getting all crinkly. Now Toad was very proud of his paws. He muttered under his breath words that should never pass the lips of either washerwoman or toads and lost his soap for the fiftieth time. A burst of laughter made him straighten himself and look round. The barge woman was leaning back and laughing unrestrainedly till the tears ran down her cheeks. I've been watching you all the time, she gasped. I thought you must be a humbug all along from the conceited way you talked. Pretty washerwoman you are. Never watch so much as a dishclout in your life, Al, eh? Toad's temper, which had been simmering viciously for some time, now fairly boiled over, and he lost all control of himself. You common, low-fat woman! he shouted. Don't you dare talk to your betters like that. Washerwoman, indeed. I would have you know that I am a toad. A very well-known, respected, distinguished toad. I may be under a bit of a cloud at present, but I will not be laughed at by a barge woman. The woman moved nearer to him and peered under his bonnet keenly and closely. Why, so you are, she cried. Well, I never. A horrid, nasty, crawly toad... And in my nice clean barge, too. Now that is a thing I will not have. She relinquished the tiller for a moment. One big mottled arm shot out and caught Toad by a foreleg, while the other gripped him fast by a hind leg. Then the world turned suddenly upside down. The barge seemed to flit lightly across the sky. The wind whistled in his ears, and Toad found himself flying through the air, revolving rapidly as he went. The water, when he eventually reached it with a loud splash, proved quite cold enough for his taste, though its chill was not sufficient to quell his proud spirit or slake the heat of his furious temper. He rose to the surface spluttering, and when he had wiped the duckweed out of his eyes, the first thing he saw was the fat barge woman looking back at him over the stern of the barge, laughing, and he vowed, as he coughed and choked, to be even with her. We'll continue our story on our next episode. We are always on the hunt for great stories like these to feature on the show. You can send your suggestions to bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. If you found some value in our storytelling tonight, don't forget to show the love. There's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>